Well, welcome to the Giles D. Stevens podcast, and I'm Giles Stevens, your host, and on this podcast, it's my desire to share the higher thoughts of heaven, which reveal the grace of the Lord, the goodness of the Lord for each and every one of us, so that indeed we can live more fruitful, better lives. And I'm so excited about today because I'm going to be sharing about literally this theme of wisdom to better your life in 2022. So if you haven't heard from me directly, you're tuning into this podcast. First of all, let me say Merry Christmas even if it's belated, but uh, just as importantly, uh, a blessed and happy new year. We really believe that this is going to be a great year, a year of accelerated growth, accelerated blessings. Uh, But as you'll hear me say, to get those blessings, we need wisdom from above. So tune in, enjoy, and I look forward to seeing you at the end. Well, let me just share a few thoughts with you. You know, the Bible tells us that wisdom is the principal thing. And so even in the area of soul winning, the scripture says, he who wins souls is wise. And so that means that we need to be wise to win souls in terms of being sort of wise fishermen, know how to do it, know how to share. But it also means we would be wise to spend our lives winning souls. He who wins souls is wise. But my point today is that wisdom makes the difference in life. And so that's why it's the principal thing, as the book of Proverbs says, you should be going after wisdom every day. And nobody is born wise. We're all born with potential. But wisdom comes when you seek after knowledge and then apply it. And so the truth is, whilst nobody is born wise, we can get wise. And it doesn't matter really where you've started in life. You can change your future through wisdom. And there are two types of wisdom, as we know. There's higher wisdom and lower wisdom or heavenly wisdom and earthly wisdom. And the higher wisdom is the revelation of the grace of God. Lower wisdom is the word of God in general, the principles that come through the word, but the highest wisdom of all is to understand the work of Christ. Because of course, when you apply that wisdom into your life, then everything that he deserves comes in your direction. I mean, and this is craziness to the natural mind. The natural mind will say, work hard and get paid. And there's wisdom in that. But the higher wisdom says, because Jesus worked hard, you will get paid. And there's the foolishness of the cross. So it's a high, high wisdom. But my point today is that we all need to be growing in wisdom each and every day. And as you do that, then indeed, it will make a difference for the better in your lives. So no matter where you're at today, your future will be brighter, simply because you acquired wisdom or because you sat at the feet of Christ and listened to him, allowed him to minister into your life. And this does sound crazy as well, because often there is pressure on us to do things, to resolve things. But actually, what we really need to do is to get wiser, to sit and allow him to speak to us. It's not lost time when you study the scripture. It's not lost time when you listen to sermons. It's not lost time when you take part of a discipleship group or a mentorship group like this. This is precious time because what happens is you come out wiser than when you went in. And that makes all the difference. You remember in the book of Ecclesiastes, it gives that wonderful proverb. 
that if the axe is dull, then sharpen it. And of course, sharpening an axe, you know, takes a little bit of time aside. It's as if you, you have to stop work, okay, in order to make your work more efficient in the future. And that's really what discipleship and really what sharing the word is all about. It's for us to sharpen our axes so that in the future, when we are cutting our trees down, when we are back in the ministry or in the workplace, we can do so much more, so much more quickly and with less effort. And of course, I believe this is vital in terms of fulfilling the prophetic word that we have over our lives and over our churches, which is that we are going to enter into a year of acceleration. So you'll get accelerated results when you can resolve things quicker, easier, more efficiently. But you get those results when you grow in wisdom. Hallelujah. Because wisdom sharpens the axe. Amen. And so I thought today we'd, I'd just share a few thoughts of wisdom for you. And you can apply this in every area of your life. And, and that's ministry, that's finances, that's relationships, that's whatever. You know, the difference between success and failure is wisdom. So why do people become successful financially? Because they're financially wise or astute. They know things that you don't know. They know where to invest. They know the good opportunities. They have understood the market, etc. Okay, that's the difference. The same even with a marriage. So why do some marriages end up on the rocks and other marriages go from strength to strength? Well, ultimately because of wisdom. Because if you think about it, two human beings living together under the same roof, that's two very different people with different dreams, different desires, and with their, all their own weaknesses and failures and self-centeredness and um, lack of consideration. So all that sort of immature part, you put two of those together and they're going to clash. There's going to be sparks that fly that could turn into fires. But wisdom understands that. And wisdom also knows how to remedy that so that when the sparks fly, Instead of allowing it to turn into a fire to destroy the marriage, they pour water on the sparks so that the sparks don't turn into fire and so that the marriage gets through a difficult moment and goes on to better times. And so wisdom is able to, to create a really firm foundation for a marriage. Wisdom knows that if your spouse is having a weak moment, then it's your turn to be strong. If your spouse falls, and it's your turn to pick them up. Okay, foolish people, if one person's weak, then the other person turns weak as well. So if one person, one spouse gets into the flesh, the other spouse, instead of being spiritual, gets into the flesh as well. If one spouse makes a false accusation, then the other spouse often makes an accusation back and the situation gets worse and worse. But a wise spouse doesn't defend themselves. A wise spouse is gracious, patient, loving, kind, uh, holds their tongue all these wonderful principles. And that means the marriage survives, continues and gets stronger and stronger as they grow in respect for each other, for being spiritual when you've been carnal. And you know how that is, guys. You know, you, we all have moments of weakness or carnality. But when our wives respond in a really mature way, in spiritual way, then we realize we're so blessed and we realize we're so grateful that God has given us somebody like that. And, and you begin to love them and honor them more and more. So anyhow, this is all wisdom. You can apply it in different areas. You can apply it in raising your children. Children are the fruit of the wisdom 
that they learn from their parent. I had a meeting with my kids this morning and I was touching on this issue that whilst you're young, you can learn things so deeply and so quickly. You know, I said to them, look, you guys speak Portuguese without an accent, but my Portuguese is still terrible. Uh, what's the difference here? Well, you learned it when you're young. And when you're young, your brain has a power to be able to absorb incredible amounts of information and to retain them much more so that as you grow. It's just a fact of life. And so here's the challenge for children is that they mustn't waste their childhood on just doing stuff that turns their brains into zombies. They need to be applying their brains, learning things. Um, I cited a few examples. They have, we had some friends over for dinner last night. They have three boys. The oldest boy in the last holidays he had, he said to his dad, I'm a bit bored. I want to study some maths and geometry. The other boy, the second boy, instead of carrying around an iPhone or an iPad, he carries around drawing notepad and 60 crayons, 60 pencils of different colors. And everywhere he goes, he draws a different picture. He's only 10 years of age. His elder brother was 13. Another boy we had over just recently, he told me, he said, Pastor, when I grow up, I want to be a millionaire. I said, what are you doing? to become a millionaire. He said, well, I'm already studying the markets and I've already got investments in lots of different places. This is a boy of 13 years of age. I said, what are you investing in? He said, well, I decided to invest in energy companies because it's lower risk, but good investments and quite stable return. And so I thought to myself, wow, you know, here's a kid who's already studying the markets, already applying money. And he, to me, he was like a, a young Donald Trump, really, really wise for his age. But here's the difference. These are children who are investing their time to get wiser whilst they're young. Hallelujah. And because when you're young, you have an opportunity to learn. Um, not only do you have a more receptive brain, but also you have time. And of course, as soon as you grow older and you get married, then you, you have less time. Why? Well, you have to run your own household. You have to pay your own bills. It means you've got to go to work. So you don't, because you're working, you don't have time to study. And when you finish your day work, you've got to go home and look after your spouse. And guess what? When children come, then you have even less time. You know, you have one child and two child and three children. Of course, that means you need bigger houses and more bills. And so you can see that unless you appreciate the season that you're in, then it becomes more difficult to do that thing in a different season. So for example, studying for a child or a, a single person is much easier than if you are studying as a married person or as a father, because you just have less time. So the important thing is, to, this is wisdom, to recognize your season. I'm not saying you can't study later, I'm just saying it's much more difficult because imagine now you've got to work in the day and you study in the evening as well. Well, that means you've got less time for your marriage. You've got less time for your children. You've got less time for recreation. So that could have a detrimental effect on your health, on your relationships, on other areas. So wisdom says, understand your seasons, okay, and invest into them whilst you can. Titus, my eldest son, I was saying to Collins at the beginning of the call, is um, currently in France, and he's gone down to France to do a intensive course in French, because he wants to be able to speak French fluently. And this is a, an area of talent of his. He already speaks fluent English, Portuguese, Spanish, and now he'll add French to that. He's also got a grounding in German and in Greek. So here's a boy who really, you know, in the next few years should be able to have 
five or six languages under his belt, which of course means that now he becomes highly employable in some areas. Not many people speak more than, you know, one or two languages. For him to be a polyglot makes him quite a rarity on earth. And rare things command more value. The rarer you are, the higher your price. So you have to try and make yourself rare by developing your talents in certain areas. As you do that, then you'll find that your value goes up. In fact, a proverb says the gift of a man makes room for him and takes him before great men. And people think that the word gift then means present. You can apply it like that. So if you're good at giving presents, that will make room for you. In other words, it will give you influence and it will take you before great men. Okay, so in other words, it will open doors for you, bring great cl clients to you, etc. And I've often said, if you're good at giving presents, then you'll find that that does open door and it will bless people. Everybody loves to receive presents. Not many people are good at giving presents, okay? But that proverb also talks about gifts in terms of your talents and abilities. So your, your gifts, your talents will make room for you and take you before great men. If it's a talent that's developed. So for example, you have a talent to sing. If you develop that talent and train that voice, then that will open doors for you because there's a wonderful thing about a trained voice or a trained pianist. My second son playing the piano, training in the piano, uh, sorry, third son. You know, I've said to him, if he becomes really excellent, then it won't just be your dad who likes to sit down and listen to you play. It will be multitudes. You can fill theatre, people wanting to hear you play or wanting to hear you sing. Interestingly, I remember hearing about Darlene Czech, who was the original lead singer of the Hillsong Church in Australia. She sold a CD that went platinum, meaning that it had over a million copies sold. And you can do the maths. If each CD sold for 10 bucks, you can see that that talent of hers made her very prosperous and took up all over the world. But here's the interesting thing. She developed that talent. And even when her CD went platinum, she was still taking voice lessons. You know, so she was wanting to excel in that area. She became passionate about the area of her talent. She constantly wanted to make it better so that she became a rarity, not just a beautiful in tune voice, but a great uh, worship leader and to lead worship is a different skill than just singing because you have to be able to lead people into the tunes into the songs and as well as the whole spiritual side of into the presence of God so great worship leaders they sing just in front of everybody else they understand how to how to lead the crowd in song or in worship okay so she studied to be excellent and the scripture says study to show yourself approved unto God. And that's the thing that we Christians really should understand. Here is wisdom, my friends. Don't study to show yourself approved unto man. Study yourself, study to show yourself in, uh, approved unto God. Now, of course, God is the God of excellence. So ultimately, you're wanting to use all your talents to the best of your ability so that you get the applause of heaven, not because not the applause of earth. And it's interesting that when Jesus spoke about the time that we will stand before the Lord, he refers to this incident where the servant of the Lord hears these words, well done, my good and faithful servant. And for all of us believers, that's our great passion. That's our great desire to hear the same words. 
well done, my good and faithful servant. In some ways, it doesn't matter what people say, as long as we hear God say that to us. It's nice when people say it, but really that can't be our goal, because if that's your goal, then you set your level too low. You want to hear it from God. And of course, his ways are highways. He's a God of excellence. So you want to make sure that all you do, you do, whether it's preaching or writing or singing or dancing or running a business or leading cell groups, you want to make sure that you hear those words well done in that area. OK, that you do that to the best of your ability, the best of your capacity in that area. And of course, you shouldn't compare yourself with other people because they might have different capacities, but you need to be in a sense, the best version of you that you can be. Or in another way, better put, allow Christ who's in you to live through you to the maximum that you are able to. Hallelujah. So anyhow, that is wisdom that we develop our talents because that will take us before great people. And wisdom does, makes that different. So I want to encourage you, all of you this year, even now as you prepare for next year, to, to really go for that. If you want to have a year of acceleration, then it has to be a year of growing in wisdom and growing in your talents. Now, I just wanted to dip into, and there's <clears throat> probably not time today because there's so much in this parable, but I just wanted to dip into the parable of the prodigal son, because I think there are certain principles of wisdom that really will help us in terms of applying them in our own lives so that we can experience the best that God has for us in the coming days. It's a parable that we all know very well, and I'm not going to read it all for time's sake, but you'll remember in Luke chapter 15, and it starts I think in verse 10, scripture talks about how the, the son asks his father for his inheritance, which is a, sorry, verse 11. Uh, and it's, if you think about it, you know, to ask your father for for an inheritance before your father's passed away is kind of an act of real disrespect. It's kind of like saying, dad, how come you're still around? I really want to get my hands on the money uh, and you're still alive. So this was, a, you know, at the beginning of the parable, the son was pretty foolish, self-centered, arrogant, um, carnal, and the rest of it. But actually, you can see a transformation happening in the life of this this young man. But if we pick up the story uh, in verse 13, scripture says, not many days afterwards, the younger son gathered all together, journeyed to a far country, probably not a close one because he wanted to get right away from his father's influence, from his family influence. You know, when people do that, you know, really, they want to live a different life. They're trying to get away from the light. They're running to a place where they're unknown so that they can live that prodigal life. And so, he went to a far country and there wasted his possessions, prodigal living. But when he had spent all, there arose a severe famine in that land and he began to be in want. Then he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country. He went to him uh, and he sent him into his fields to feed swine and he would gladly have filled his stomach with the pods that the swine ate and no one gave him anything. Isn't that amazing? But, and here's, here's the sort of first point that I want to bring to you is verse 17 says, but when he came to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have bread enough and to spare? And I perish with hunger. I will arise and go to my father and say to him, father, I've sinned against heaven and before you I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your 
hired servants. This little phrase here, I think is absolutely key. When he came to himself. And this really implies that he had a change of mind, a metanoia moment. Remember, metanoia is the word for repentance or change of mind. Meta in Greek yeah, means change and noia thinking. So he changed his thinking. He came to himself. He began thinking differently. And of course, um, what brought on that different thinking was actually the famine and the abandonment from his friends. So from being in a place where he had everything, went to a place where he had nothing, and that caused him to think again. And, you know, obviously this is an evangelistic parable as well. And it really teaches us about how to treat people um, when they're going through tough times. I think I'm constantly at loggerheads with certain evangelists who want to point their finger and condemn people when they are because of their sin. I believe that that's not the way of Christ. He was the friend of sinners. And when people are in a place of suffering, actually, that's not the time. Point the finger and tell them, I told you so. It would all end in tears. This, you know, you, you, you know you're, you're a terrible person. You brought this on yourself. No, actually, you know, that is the time to be gracious, okay, to keep loving and help them remember that God remains good and loving and kind. And that will help them to change their mind. It's the goodness of God. It's the goodness of God that leads people to repentance. The change of mind happened for this young man because he realized that in his father's house, even the servants had more than he had to eat. So he remembered that his father's a good guy, that his father was gonna look after him again. If he looks after his servants, he'll look after me. He actually headed home because he knew that he wouldn't be condemned. Deep down within, he felt that he would be accepted. He had to have a change of mind in different areas, as we know, because he wanted to be treated as a servant, not a son, but his father wouldn't accept that. But at least here, he understand, had an understanding of the goodness of God. But there's another understanding that he had, and this is where the gospel really is so wonderful, because Jesus preached, repent and believe. So we repent or we change our thinking, and we believe in the work of Christ. We believe in the goodness of God. And what this young man, what happened to this young man is that he realized that actually his circumstances were determined by his decisions. And that's perhaps a key point of wisdom that you want to note down. Your decisions determine your circumstances. This young man, interestingly, didn't blame anyone else at the time. He realized that he ended up in the pigsty because of bad decisions that he had made. But he also realized that he could get back into the father's house and live the abundant life once again because of good decisions that he could make. So in the end, life is a result of decisions. We eat the fruit of our lips. I love the word of God because it just reveals how good God is, because the scripture points and divides and determines or distinguishes for us what is a good life, what is a bad life. And so, but it also shows the heart of God in that he tells us the right choice to make. So you'll remember the scripture says, I place before you life and death. But then the scripture goes on to say, choose life. This is God speaking, choose life. So we all have a choice each and every day for certain things. And the Spirit of God will give us wisdom. One of those decisions will lead to life, another will lead to death. But then the Spirit of God will also encourage us to choose life. Hallelujah. And, but the point is this, we have to 
realize that it's our decisions that have determined our destiny or our circumstances. And so real wise people, instead of taking on a victim mentality in life, they take on responsibility. And this world today is plagued with the victim mentality, people finding excuses for their own bad circumstances, people pointing their finger at other, at other people or at ideologies or whatever it is for their terrible circumstances. If you think about it here, the prodigal son, he could have blamed, well, first of all, he could have blamed God because, you know, of the famine. Normally when there's some sort of climactic change on earth, like a famine, even in insurance policies and contracts, they call them acts of God, big floods or earthquakes and so forth. They're called acts of God. So God gets blamed for that, even though it's not him. Or, I mean, I know today with climate change, they point to bankers or industry or whatever. Nobody ever takes responsibility or few people take responsibility for their own circumstances. A lot of people blame the politicians, blame one sector of society. And of course, the prodigal son even could have blamed these short-term friends that he had. If you remember, he was surrounded by mates when he had all the money. But as soon as his money ran out, his mates abandoned him. And he could have sat there in the pigsty getting more and more bitter. Those friends aren't friends at all. And so many people, unfortunately, instead of using a negative circumstance like the prodigal son had to come to their senses, what they do is they wallow in the mud of self-pity. Okay, they wallow in the stream of bitterness and resentment. They point their finger at others. Repentance means a change of mind, a change mm -hmm. of my mind. Okay, a change of my thinking. The prodigal mm -hmm. son did that. He had a wonderful moment of lucidity, of clear thinking. And he realized, hang on, I'm here because of bad decisions. But one good decision, heading back to my father's house, and my circumstances will change. And so this is kind of like one of the key points of wisdom that we always need to apply in our lives is that we are ultimately in control of our circumstances, in control of our destinies, okay? And you choose whether you want to have a better future or not, okay? You can choose that. You can choose to have the best year of your life. I know God has got great things laid up for us. He's encouraging us to, to take a hold of those things. But in the end, it's a choice. In the end, it's a choice. So get a hold of yourself this year, determined to become wiser, determined to invest in the right things, determined to be the person you dream of being. Hallelujah. Amen. And you'll see that when you head out on the right roads, then you'll get to the right destinations. Hallelujah. Second point um, that I want to bring up here is point of wisdom is that we read, obviously, that these friends abandoned him. And here's the principle. He who does not help you will end up hindering you. So you've got to be really wise in life in choosing your friends. I like to say you can't choose your family. So be wise at choosing your friends. Because he who is wise walks with wise. And then the wisdom that's upon them becomes upon you. So really, you can determine your future by the friends that you walk with. And I'll tell you your future by knowing the friends you're walking with. And so you really have to choose well, choose well. Somebody I heard say recently that you are the sum of the 
three closest friends that you have in your life. So look around you and see the three people who are closest to you and then look at where they're headed and what they're doing and what they're achieving. And really that's a reflection of who you are. So really what you want to do, wisdom says, is get around the wisest guys you can. I remember we're talking about heavenly wisdom. We're also talking about earthly wisdom. Okay, these are Proverbs. He who walks with the wise is wise, okay? Anyone can understand that even with a natural mind. You don't need to have the mind of Christ to understand that. Um, my kids occasionally like to watch um, The Apprentice. And this is before Donald Trump was very well known. And whether you, whether you like the politics of Donald Trump or not, you have to admit that this guy has been a very successful businessman. And one thing that they showed me, he was being interviewed and he said, look, when I employ people, I try and find the wisest people I can. I pay them a great salary and then I give them space to get on and do their job. And that's just wisdom. You know, that's just wisdom. If you want the best, you've got to, you've got to pay for it. You've got to give them a good salary to attract them. Somebody once said, if you pay peanuts, you only get monkeys. And so, you know, wise people understand that. They want to surround themselves with wise people. So if you ever have an opportunity to be discipled, to walk with a wise person, then go for it. Go for it. It's worth so much to you. It will change your trajectory. I've made it a point in my life to get around, to walk with the wisest people that I've met. Obviously, I'm a minister. So are you. So I want to be around the wisest ministers that I can possibly find. And interestingly, even in my own personal testimony, people, I live here in Guayana, Brazil, which of course, nobody's really ever heard of Goiânia in the US or in, in Europe. Nobody knows where it is. It's kind of for them in their minds. It's like, I don't know, the, the jungles of Brazil, the back end of nowhere. And when I walk around here close to my home, I live in an area where our neighbors are kind of doctors and, and lawyers and you know that kind of profile of people. And they're often amazed when I talk to them. They find out that I'm British. And they say, why are you living here? We all want to live there. And I kind of understand it in the natural. But what they don't know is that I studied in the UK. Some of you know my story. I went to Oxford University and studied there and, and so forth. But actually, when I came across um, some of the pastors and guys that I walk with here, people like Pastor Luizio, Pastor Naor, and others, I realized these guys had a level of wisdom that I hadn't found in Oxford. I hadn't found anywhere else. And so I moved geographically in order to walk with them here, okay? Because I realized that if I walk with the wise, I will be wise. And if I'm wise, then everything in my life begins to change. Hallelujah. And here's the point. Sometimes you have to change geographical location. You have to pay a price in order to get wisdom. But wise people are willing to pay the price to get wisdom. And if you remember the great, one of the great rebukes of the Lord Jesus to a couple of the cities there in Israel, he's, you know, he rebuked them for not recognizing him, recognizing him, the, the visit of the Messiah. And then he applauded the Queen of Sheba from the south, who traveled great distances to sit at the feet of Solomon in order to get wisdom. And if you think about that, that was a massive price for her to pay in those days, you know, because Sheba was down, down south in Northern Africa to travel in those days was a long way, very difficult traveling on camels or horses or walking, whatever it was. She would have had to take a massive entourage. There's a high risk in traveling as well. So to go all the way to Israel, which was a despised place, 
uh, by many of the surrounding nations, and then to humble herself, to sit at the feet of another monarch, all of those things show an extraordinary humility, but also an extraordinary level of wisdom, because she realized that in Solomon, there was a fount of wisdom that she had found in no other place. And so she was willing to take that time, that effort, spend that finances, all that to humble herself in order to have access to that wisdom. And Jesus applauds it. She is known in heaven for it. She wins an accolade before the Lord because of that attitude. And then Jesus rebukes his generation. He says, look, I'm here in front of you. Somebody who's wiser than Solomon. You guys can't even listen, can't even come and sit at my feet. As we know, so many people rejected him. It was really, the Bible says it was the common people who heard him gladly. So simple people, okay, not the wise of this world. They rejected him. And so they're the fools in the end. They're the fools. So whatever it takes, even separating yourself to be in a meeting like this, um, you know, taking time out of your day, time out of your week. Like I said at the beginning, it's not lost time. This is time invested. I often say that you can know whether you've been in the presence of a man of God because you, you come out richer, you come out wiser. So whenever you can get into a situation where you come out wiser, come out richer, then know that that's going to have a influence in your life. Hallelujah. In the end, your future is dependent on how much wisdom you're able to attain each and every day. And so the prodigal son, he really got that. And like I said, in this point too, he who does not help will end up hindering you. You know, you've got to choose wisely who you walk with, who your friends are. These friends abandoned the prodigal son. Uh, he had a lot of friends, but none of them helped him. He lost them all. And so don't, you've got to be able to discern people's spirits as well. I think that's one of the, the key things in life is being able to not just look at people according to their outward appearance, but to discern their spirit, to discern their motives. And you've been given the Holy Spirit to be able to do that. Some people look right, but they're wrong. Some people look wrong, but they're right. And so you have to go a little bit deeper. God will, God will, in your spirit, give you a joy to be around a person or he'll make alarm bells sound in your spirit. And that's a warning signal from him as to don't invest there. Don't walk with that person. So I think we have been given that supernatural ability as well. You have to be careful, especially in the ministry, guys, not to hang on to friendships that hold you in your past. There's such emphasis these days placed on sort of friends from my childhood, friends from my school. But many of your friends from your school, they don't recognize you as a man of God. They don't recognize you in the position that you're in today. And actually, the best thing to do is to cut off those relationships or certainly don't nurture them because they'll only look at you in the natural. They won't affirm your calling in God. They'll treat you as the little kid that they used to know. And that's not good for you now. You need people around you who treat you in your prophetic calling as a man of God, in the role that you have as separated by Christ to the church. Those are the people who are going to propel you into a better future rather than hold you back in your past. And this is absolutely vital. I mean, some people still, you know, they hang on to these old friends and these old friends drag them down rather than build them up. And it's the same with family as well. You have to be careful with family 
Obviously, we need to look after our families, especially those who are vulnerable and in need, our aging parents and things like that. But so often, sadly, those who are closest to us and our families still treat us as that old person or as the little boy at home. And so you have to be careful not to uh, allow those types of relationships really to dominate you. Even Jesus had to rebuke his mother and his brothers. Uh, when his brothers came and said, look, your mother's outside and your brothers, Jesus replied, who are my mother, my sister and my brothers, those who do the will of God? And that was quite an exhortation because the, the mother and the brothers were trying to hold him back. They were saying, you're too radical. You shouldn't do these kind of things. It's going too far. And so many of us have relationships of the past that still say the same thing to us. And you have to be careful not to give them too much space in your life. Like I say, with family, you need to be there to help, to be a blessing. But if they don't recognize you in your prophetic calling, then they can't walk with you. If you remember when Jesus went to Nazareth and tried to minister there, the scripture says he could only do a few miracles. Well, why is that? Well, the scripture explains the scripture that they saw him as the son of Joseph, the carpenter. And the scripture says, is this not the son of the carpenter? And there was a kind of division in the city. And so people didn't see him as the son of God. They saw him as the son of the carpenter. Now, if people see you like that, you'll find that you won't be able to minister much there. Why? Because they'll never draw on the anointing that you have. They'll never draw. You won't be able to do miracles there because they don't recognize you in your priestly role. They don't recognize you as an anointed person. And when people don't recognize you in that position, they won't draw wisdom or anointing for you. So it's not that you're different. It's just that they're not in a position to receive from you. Okay, they still see you as that person's son, that kid, that boy that we went to school with, that friend that we hung out at the football pitch with, whatever, rather than as a man of God. So be really careful about it. you can have really bad relationships. Wisdom says choose wisely. Let go of those who aren't, who aren't helping you, who are hindering you. There are people who will cause you to lose your passion for the Lord, lose your fear of God to treat things of the church in a really light way or a passive way. But you have to cut those relationships off. Like I'm saying, I'm not saying that you don't continue to love everybody and be a blessing in general terms to everybody. I'm talking about who you walk with. Those people no longer can walk with you. You need to cut them off. You need to be around people, brothers in the Lord, who cause you to be more zealous, okay? Even more radical, more full of faith more passionate. And you'll be able to discern very quickly whether somebody's trying to hold you back or somebody's propelling you on. Somebody's got negative, critical words, unbelieving words, or somebody who's affirming you, saying to you, yes, you can do it. Uh, we're called to do this. Let's do something great in our generation. You know, I was really glad to have a conversation with my oldest son, Titus, who's currently um, deciding where he's going to study at university. And he's he went back to England and he's been offered a place in a top university in England, what the, you know, what is recognized as one of the top universities there. But he's also been offered a, a place in a Christian university in New York, um, which doesn't have nearly the same infrastructure or beautiful campus as the English one. So I said to him, Titus, look, you're going to have to decide. You're going to have to pray. You're going to have to follow the leading of the Lord. You're 19 years of age now. I've spent many years investing into you so that you have spiritual discernment and vision. And he got back to me and he said, Dad, I, I've made my decision. I prefer to go to the States and I'll tell you why. 
well, then it's not just that it's a Christian university, but there I've got a friend and I've come across others from all that I've read. And there they're really trying to do something wonderful for God in their generation to advance the kingdom. But when I look at the English version, there they're just trying to make money, just get a job and make money at the end of it. And I feel like I'm called to something higher than that, to a prophet, for a prophetic purpose in my life. So I'm going to go with that one by the grace of God. And so we're hoping that that all works out. We're still waiting to hear back from the Americans now. But I just love the fact that that's what he discerned. He wanted to walk with people who he knew would project him, encourage him on into a life of fulfilling God's calling into this higher path that the Lord has for us. Hallelujah. And so he's cutting off those other options in his life. Amen. And let me just finish with this last point because our time's flown by. So a third point of wisdom here is that intolerance with your present circumstance will be the combustible to change your circumstances. So in a sense, you have to get fed up with mediocrity in your life, not just fed up with low standard things, but even fed up with with mediocre things. Do you follow what I'm saying? Somebody once said the enemy of excellence isn't bad, but the enemy of excellence is good. So if you settle for good, then you'll never get to the excellent. Let me put it in those other terms. Mediocrity is kind of like good enough, isn't it? This is what most people do. Therefore, it's good enough. You have to get fed up with everything that's mediocre in your life. You have to get fed up with everything that's undeveloped in your life. You have to look at your life and you have to think, look, this isn't developed enough. Remembering this, that only you can develop yourself. So many adults are sort of waiting rather like children for somebody to make their life better. That doesn't happen. That really doesn't happen. If you're still waiting, then you're going to be waiting all your life. Stop waiting for somebody to come in and be a knight in shining armor to make your life better. That person isn't coming. You have to be the knight in shining armor. Stop waiting for a new road to open up for you so that you can get to a better future. No, you build the road. You lay down the the concrete step by step. Make a decision. I'm going to better my life. I'm fed up with just being common. I don't want to be common. And you have to get fed up. I'm using that English expression, fed up. Really, you have to get to that place of just intolerance with anything that's mediocre or poor standard. It has to become something that's a driving force inside of you. Like I say, a combustible a petrol, a gasoline, some rocket fuel on the inside that burns so that whenever you walk into a place and you see it disordered or undeveloped, you have a passion to set things in order, to make it excellent. I don't know about you, but I hate walking into rooms that are out of order. I want to put everything in order. That's a good thing, okay? Because where there's order, there's blessing. We see that in the creation. If you remember, there was chaos at the beginning. God's spirit hovered over the deep. And, you know, and, and so nothing was in order. But when God got involved, he started separating. He started defining, spent those seven days or the six days of creation, put things in order piece by piece, from the big things in sense to the small things, all right? And when, when everything was in order and he made man in his image and likeness, then he blessed man. So the blessing comes when things are in order. So become intolerant with any area of your life, your ministry, your business, your family that's out of order or that's common. But at the same time, remember this, the change is difficult. Change is difficult. Why? Because actually to change, you need to learn new things. Okay. You have to get out of that sort of comfort zone. You have to 
think in different ways. You have to get around people who are doing things differently. And like I said, you have to pay a price. Okay. You have to be willing to recognize your own weaknesses. And when you recognize a weakness in your own life to go and study or go and get help from somebody who's strong in that area so that you can get better in that area. I said to my sons this morning that the Bible teaches us that we should be fully furnished human beings. And that gives the illustration of a house and each room in the house represents a different area in life. So one of the rooms represents your finances, the other your marriage, the other your kids, the other your ministry, the other your business, whatever. And then within those rooms, maybe there are smaller rooms. And so, but the point is this, to be fully furnished, you need to have furnishing in every room. You can't just be specialist in one area. You can't just have the kitchen set up, but not the bedroom or the living room. You need furniture in every area. And it may be that you're not so good in the kitchen, but if you want to have a pleasant life, you're going to have to learn how to cook, or you're going to have to learn how to do the washing up in a, in a quick and efficient manner, set a, set a rotor so that each member of the family does it. So it's not just you, whatever it is, you've got to get involved in every area in order to really prosper in life. Because the problem is you could be specialist in one area, I don't know, you could be a great preacher, but terrible with finances, but that's going to be a problem for you. You've got to get better in the area of your weaknesses too. I'm not saying you shouldn't focus on your strengths. No, please. You need to focus on your talents. We touched on that already, but that doesn't mean to say that you should leave weaknesses, unfurnished areas in your house, because that would mean the enemy has access in that area. You know, David went out to fight in the times of battle, uh, but he came back to his city at Ziklag and he saw that it had been burned to the ground and his wives and children had been stolen. And so he was focused on that one area, but he left another area exposed and vulnerable. He would have been wiser to make sure that he had defended his city and left his children and wives protected. So, so many ministers are like that. They focus on one thing, which is fine, but they forget the other things. So we can't do that, brothers. There's a weakness in your area. Be honest about it. You know, there's some things in married life, you'll find that your spouse is better at doing it than you. So that doesn't mean to say that just because you're the head being the man that she shouldn't do it. No, delegate that thing to her. Say, honey, you're much better at looking after the money or you're much better at organizing the holidays, or you're much better at doing this, you know, whatever it is, get her involved. You, you, you got her strength. Doesn't mean to say you're, you're no longer the head of the household. No, that shows that you are the head, okay? Because you've taken the proactive position to recognize your weakness. I'm sure you understand what I'm saying, all right? So have that drive to make 2022 and beyond even better to not accept anything common in life, anything undeveloped in life. Use that as, uh, as a driving force within you. Determine I'm going to have excellence in every area. Hallelujah. Well, before you go, I would like to pray for you and ask God's blessing upon your life in this coming year. So right where you are, please close your eyes unless you're driving your car. And um, let's stand in faith because we know that all the promises of God are yes and amen to whoever believes. And so all you need to do is to agree with what you've heard, speak out those blessings, and indeed God will bring them to you through his grace. Amen. 
Father, thank you so much for every person listening to this broadcast. They tuned in because they want to get wisdom from above. They know that wisdom is the principal thing. They know that wisdom makes the difference. And Father, your word says that Jesus Christ was made unto us wisdom. Father, you are wisdom. You are the God of wisdom. You are the person of wisdom. It was through your wisdom that all things were made and uphold. And I thank you, Father, that as every one has a personal relationship with you, indeed the spirit of wisdom and revelation would constantly be in them, giving them illuminated minds, guiding them on the right paths, helping them to make the right decisions, causing them to be in the right place at the right time, saying the right thing. So I release blessing of heaven upon them for 2022, that indeed this will be the best year of their lives. And beyond that, Father, it will be a year of acceleration, where indeed they will see things come to pass, which in normal times and in normal terms would take a long time to come to pass. Lord, I pray that they would come to pass at double speed and that there would be double blessings coming their way. Thank you, precious Father, for every person And if you agree with that prayer, say amen. God bless you all. Look forward to being with you next week in Jesus' name.